Hello. Hello. Uh, let me figure out how to do that. Um, I muted me. This is the second I was muted for them. Now they can hear me. Guys, if he's in Florida, should I put it on East, US East, on Discord? Yes, okay. Um. Okay. I think we're set. Okay. I think we're set. Oh, uh, we still got an echo okay. on you. I don't know how to mute just you. I think we're set. Oh, uh, we still got an echo okay. on you. I don't know how to mute just you. I think we're set. Uh oh. Maybe. I can. Let me call you back. Okay, I'm not sure what's happening there. Um, does he need headphones? He has the stream open. Um, but he can have the stream open and just um, anonymous with $10. Thank you so much. All right, we're getting rolling. Um, so if you could mute the stream, but leave it open, we should be set. Earbuds may help. He needs to mute the stream. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll put this donation goal up here. Okay, stream muted. All right, let's uh, let's try again. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hazard, thank you. Okay. How how is this? Good. Okay, yeah. I, think, I think we're set. I can hear no. it. There's a little bit of an echo on my uh, on your end. I can hear myself. Why don't I get some earbuds? That would be wonderful if you have them. That's weird. It was fine earlier. <laughs> Guys, so far so good. Welcome to the Scuff Podcast. It's Thursday at 1 o'clock in the morning. <sighs> I watched the Scuff podcast last night. Fishies, yes, by the way. Um, at $500, if we hit $500, he will feed the fish. <laughs> we'll watch them eat. <laughs> It'll be really cute and happy. Okay. So I just moved and everything is all packed up. Oh, I know how that goes. Moving Zors. Thank you to your audience for being patient. No, they're yeah, we're fine. They're fine. I um mentioned the the Twitter comments earlier. I just looked at them because you mentioned that on our call. It's really funny. <laughs> they, <laughs> they sound like they're five. They're not. I promise. No, it's fun. Some kind of ghost tip ten dollars. Thank you so much. And anonymous with ten dollars. Anonymous with three dollars. Thank you guys so much. That's awesome. We didn't even tell them about it yet. I know. They're they're so ready. 
I mentioned your I mentioned your book and I, I briefly mentioned what alongside wildlife does, but um, we'll talk about it more. Okay, we're almost there. It's literally fine as it is. Yeah. It's it's Danny DeVito with twelve dollars and fifty one cents. Been needing more reading material, hypers. Good. Thank goodness, you're in the right place. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, I think we should be good to go. Okay, and Sniper with $50, audio is fine, smile. All right, boys, <laughs> we've, we've, we've hit $85 before David has even introduced himself. <laughs> so, so if you wouldn't mind saying- and, Yeah, saying, sure. Yeah, just introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit what, about what they have donated to already. <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Wow, thanks everybody for your donation so far. My name is Dave Steen. I'm uh, a herpetologist. I study amphibians and reptiles. Uh, I've been doing this for about 20, 25 years or so. So uh, lots of experience with snakes. Um, what I'm really interested in are the, the threats that they face because these are animals that are declining. They're of conservation concern and I want to figure out how to conserve them. Okay. Very cool. And then, so alongside Wildlife Foundation, you founded and you're the executive director, correct? Yes. Okay. The Alongside Wildlife Foundation is a nonprofit charity. Uh, so all donations are tax deductible. That gets people excited. <laughs> uh, but basically over my career, I realized that a lot of things that people think are important aren't being funded by the major agencies. It's just not something they're interested in. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that we try to fill that gap. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, what, are this, what does this animal eat? How are his population doing? Nobody's studying that stuff. Um, so we try to fund those studies through our grants program. Okay. And when did you start Alongside Wildlife? Uh, it was the end of 2017, and we really started getting rolling in 2018. Cool. So, so pretty recent, but in just that short time, we've already, by the end of this year, we'll have awarded over $20,000 to wildlife conservation grants oh, projects yeah. around the That's world. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, we're already at $110. Um, so that's that's really really great you guys thank you so much um i think part of why they started donating um before you had said anything about alongside wildlife is because i mentioned feeding the fish at 500 dollars. <laughs> so they really would just love to see your fish get fed uh, apparently what kind of fish do you have yeah well that's good because i haven't fed them in a week so they're really hungry <laughs> oh no <laughs> what kind of fish uh, are they <laughs> There's a few different kinds of fish in here, and uh, most of them you could find in wetlands around the southeast. There's sailfin mollies, and there's mosquito fish in there. Okay, very cool. Celeron, thank you. Um, so your thing is snakes. I found you on Twitter. I'm sure a lot of people found you on Twitter. Um, I don't remember how, but I remember seeing you just identifying snakes like that, just like back to back to back um people guys people tweet at him with these pictures of snakes and ask ask him to ask him to identify those snakes um how did you get into snakes in the first place what what sparked your passion for for him as long as i can remember i've been 
lifting up rocks and looking through streams, trying to find snakes and things like that. And uh, anybody that's had a conversation about snakes with somebody else knows that they really need a lot of help when it comes to public relations. Sure. They've just got these really bad reputation. Uh, so I figured there's a real opportunity there to help people appreciate these animals in a new way. Um, so you got to start with just basic knowledge. And so that's why I'm on Twitter to identify these snakes for people. That's so cool. We've talked about that a few times on this podcast of um, it's really easy for people to fall in love with with fuzzy, charismatic things, right, when it comes to conservation. So I'm glad that we have you on um, today. And that's why you wrote this book, right? I'm holding the book up. You can't see me. <laughs> but I'm holding it up. Thank you so much for sending this to me. Um, you wrote this book. It's called Secrets of Snakes, The Science Beyond the Myths. Um, Roblocker, thank you so much. Um, and you can do command book and chat to check this out. Do you want to tell us about this a little bit, why you wrote this, when it came out? This is your first book too, which is so exciting. I am excited as well. Look, I can do it too. Oh, so we cool. Can both, we can <laughs> both be it. holding it up. Um, yeah, this is my first book and each chapter represents a question or a myth that I learned is important from my audience. So I've been doing this for about 10, 12 years, answering people's questions. And I have a really good understanding about the things that they're confused about or worried about. And those are the things that I put into this book. Um, there's a lot of old legends like the hoop snake that'll it'll bite its tail and then roll I down hills. That. Yes. Yeah, but people don't really talk about that too much anymore. They talk about whether baby snakes are more dangerous or where whether rattlesnakes are rattling less. And so those are the myths that I put in this book. You guys, you put some, I'm sure you guys have heard some myths about snakes. Um, if you guys want to put some of those in chat, um, maybe maybe he'll get to address some of those. Poe, thank you for $20. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, one of the things that I've, I've, I didn't get to read this whole thing, but I did read um, a couple of the sections. One of them that was interesting to me, the whole thing is very humbling because I, I know very little about reptiles. Um, but... The thing about rattlesnakes, or there are lots of snakes that rattle, um, that are not rattlesnakes. I didn't know that at all. Um, I feel like I've seen snakes in the wild that I've assumed are rattlesnakes, and now I want to go back. I wish I had taken pictures of them or something. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you could tell me what they were. Someone <laughs> asked, have you ever been bitten by a snake? I yes, I have. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I've, I've probably been bitten hundreds of times. And uh, actually, the book opens with an anecdote about me being bitten by a water snake. And in their saliva, they have an anticoagulant, so the, your blood doesn't clot. And so you bleed a lot, but they're right. not venomous. I, I've never been bitten by a venomous snake because I'm a lot more careful than the people you might see on TV because I really do not want to get bitten by a venomous snake. Right. Uh, as as I would imagine. Um, another thing that I read um, in your book was was about, yeah, you mentioned it earlier, but younger snakes um, being more dangerous than older snakes. Um, I've definitely heard that myth. My mom told me that. She still would if I asked her today. Um, that younger rattlesnakes have a harder time controlling their venom, um, and so they inject more um, than adult snakes. And in your book, you said that wasn't necessarily true or we don't know, right? Yeah, it's a lot of these myths. We can't say that they're definitely false, but we can say, well, there's really no evidence for it. 
And so that falls into that category because how are we going to figure out what a baby snake is thinking and whether it's trying to control its venom? That's something we just don't know. So right. this is kind of a myth. Uh, the, the main lesson is don't get bitten by a snake regardless of how old it is. Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to copy and paste some of these questions in chat. I actually got a few. Um, do you mind just addressing these myths that they're putting in chat asking? It's kind of your thing, I'd right? love to. I'd <laughs> yeah. love to. Okay. Um, so one that came up was a snake can hypnotize or charm its prey so that the animal is unable to escape. Have you heard that one? I've heard it, but I don't know of any evidence for it. Okay. When a snake is within close distance to its prey, it's going to try and eat it. Right. It's not going to try and trick it or hypnotize it. It's going to try and use its mouth to swallow it. Right. Okay. Another one. <laughs> Something about red, yellow, orange, orange, yellow, red. I don't know. <laughs> I think they're talking about sure. the, the coral snake thing or am I yep. mistaken? Okay. This is a chapter in the book, so I hope if they're interested in it, they'll check it out. The rhyme goes, red on yellow, kill a fellow, red on black, friend of Jack. And that's to help people recognize coral snakes because they have bands that are different colors, yellow, red, and black. And basically, uh, let's see if I can remember. If it's red band touching a yellow band, then it's probably a coral snake and it's venomous. Mm -hmm. um, the, the tricky part is that this is only for the coral snake in the United States. There's coral snakes throughout Central and South America, and that rhyme doesn't work for them. Oh. So that's a, yeah, but, you know, you could find these pictures of tourists picking up these deadly coral snakes in South America. They say, don't worry, I, the rhyme, I did the rhyme. It's oh fake. my gosh. But, that's yeah, crazy. Really so I think what happened is this is a rhyme that originated in the southeastern United States. And for a long time, it really helped people distinguish the coral snake from a couple specific species that look like it. But now we have the internet, we got phones, we got people traveling all over the place. And they've taken that rhyme that works in the southeast and they try to apply it everywhere. And uh, hopefully it doesn't get anyone killed. Right. And then on the other side, too, um like you said, people are holding them thinking that they're not venomous. Um, I've definitely known a lot of people to kill snakes thinking they're venomous and they're not. Is that a big problem that you've that you've seen? It's definitely a big problem for those non-venomous snakes, for okay. sure. Uh, yeah, tons are getting killed. Uh, a lot of people aren't very good at identifying snakes. A lot of people don't really care and they just figure better safe than sorry. Right. Uh, and they try to kill them. But what I try to communicate to people is most bites happen when you're messing with the snake or trying to kill it. Mm -hmm. And just by agreeing not to do that, you're really reducing your chance of getting bitten by a snake. Yeah. Um, my sister, this past year, she spent a year in Ghana, um, and she mentioned it's just super common practice, any snake. I mean, they don't even try to identify it, right? It's any snake yeah. they see, just just better safe than sorry is, is their, uh, their, their way to do it. Um, which it's true. Super, and yeah, it's super sad. Think, things can be a lot more dangerous in the Australian continent mm -hmm. and the African continent. But in the United States, we only have a handful of venomous snakes, and they're pretty recognizable. Okay. Um, another, speaking of which, um, someone also asked if it's possible to build up a tolerance to venom. 
I have heard that it is possible. It's not something I would recommend anyone try to do. Sure. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not sure, but I have heard some people that they inject uh, themselves with venom. That's how some of the vaccines are made for dogs is by injecting horses with it. Uh, but this is not really a, this is not anything that's been approved by the FDA. So okay. don't try it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> good to know. Um, and then kind of going off of that, someone asked about the classic, oh no, a snake bit me, suck the venom out. Is that a thing? <laughs> or is that not a good idea? It's not a good idea. Let okay. me tell you that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't usually offer medical advice because I'm not that kind of doctor. Right. Uh, but uh, sucking out the venom, cutting it, uh, all of those things, electrocuting it is another thing I've heard. Really? These are, yeah, I don't think a doctor, a medical doctor is going to recommend those things anymore. Right. And what I tell people is just get to the hospital. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's, there is a section on, in your book about this, but someone asked, is it true that round eyes mean not venomous and slit eyes are, mean venomous? The short answer is no, it does not. Okay. Uh, pit vipers, which are the cottonmouths, the rattlesnakes, the copperheads, those are all pit vipers and they do have the vertical pupil like a cat does. Mm -hmm. However... There's lots of other kinds of venomous snakes, like coral snakes and cobras and sea snakes. Right. They have round pupils. So, and there's also a couple non-venomous snakes that are active at dawn and dusk. Yeah, it's a great picture right there. <laughs> um, there are a lot of snakes that are active at dawn and dusk, and they also have the vertical pupils like a cat, even though they're not venomous. So okay. it's kind of a a general pattern, but it's not a rule. Okay. Very cool. And then someone also another just said, chapter. yeah. And then another section, speaking of which triangular headed snakes means they're venomous. So it's kind of a similar answer, isn't it? I, I feel like people are really going to love this book. Yeah, it sounds we're, just like going, it. we're just going through all chapters here. <laughs> uh, a triangular shaped head is another thing where you can kind of make a general pattern, but it's not a rule. I can look at a snake and I can see that has a relatively triangle shaped head, mm -hmm. but I look at snakes all day right? and other people don't. And so you can see any snake and any snake head looks vaguely triangular. Mm -hmm. uh, but here's the tricky part is a lot of harmless snakes will actually hunch up, you know, their body and um, basically make themselves look triangular. And there's a couple pictures in the book where, there's these harmless snakes and they're all defensive and it's, it's a, it's like a perfect triangle. Right. So if you're just relying on that trick, you may see a scared snake and think it has a triangular head and think it's venomous, but it's not. Okay, great guys. That was a lot of good questions. Well done. Um, <laughs> proud of you guys. Um, so that is a really good taste of what's in this book. Um, in addition to a lot of really, really beautiful pictures. Um, did you just get like, is that from a variety of photographers or did you have a couple or how did you collect all these? They're beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I wish I could photograph as well as these people did. Yeah. No there's, a, there's a handful of my pictures in there. Oh, cool. Yeah. But what I really wanted to do 
is show snakes as they really are. So many people will photograph snakes and you'll see them. They're already been scared. They're hauled out onto a pavement or the road, or the grass, and they've been photographed for 10 minutes. They're scared. Right. Um, what I really wanted to do in this book is show snakes as they truly are, just kind of hiding, doing their thing, eating, basking, and really trying to communicate that these animals have their own lives going on. And it's not just these little brief blips in time where they're really scared and we're taking pictures of them. Yeah. So, Lots of candid shots. Yeah, that's great. No, they're, they're really, really beautiful. Um, what, so what does your day-to-day life look like? Do you do a lot of field work and what do you do with alongside wildlife? And Sure. Uh, kind of as my career has progressed, I spend less and less time outside doing the field work myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, when I was in graduate school and when I was researching, when I was um, having technician jobs, then I'd be out there I'd be trapping turtles, looking for snakes, taking a net into ponds and looking for uh, salamanders and newts and things like that. Mm-hmm. At this part of my career during my day job, uh, it's mostly inside. I'm kind of organizing studies, developing them, looking for grant funding. And uh, there's a lot of administrative work associated with uh, supervising people as well. Right. So that's my day job. And then for the foundation, it's, oops, lost the headphone. My foundation is something that I do kind of on nights and weekends. And it's it's mostly outreach, science outreach, whether it's writing the book, whether it's being on the computer, answering people's questions. That's the bulk of my time. Mm-hmm. Although there are also, you know, as you might imagine, it's like running a small business. So there's lots of other tasks to do. For sure. Yeah, one of the... One of the reasons I was excited to reach out to you is that you you do a really, really good job of um, science with science communication um, and, and understanding outreach and understanding how how outreach has to evolve. Right. With with our new generation. Um, I've I've been on Twitch. How long has it been, guys? Like eight, n- nine months or so. Um, so not super long. Um, but this is uh, this is the 10th podcast, which is exciting. <laughs> So it's, a, it's a relatively new podcast also. Um, but it's been a really, really interesting experience um, doing it this way, right? Super, super different. I think we're sitting at about 1,500 viewers right now. Um, so it's a, it's a really cool way to teach people. Um, and for the most part, younger people. Um, but you definitely get that through Twitter and through your blog. Um, how did you how'd you find out that that was important? Like, when when did you start kind of going that route of using social media to teach people? Well, a lot of people want to do science communication and they want to do outreach, but they're just kind of sitting back and waiting for people to come to them. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be sitting there waiting forever. And the people that find you, they're already kind of interested in you and the stuff that you want to talk about. So if you actually want to do outreach, where you break down, reaching out, give new audiences, talking to people that may not even like snakes who never look for you in the first place, then you have to go where the people are mm-hmm. and that's social media. Right. Right. So can you tell us about your blog a little bit? You guys can do a command blog and chat if you'd like to see it. When did you start that? And what's that about? Uh, the blog started as a newspaper column and that was uh, a few years ago now. And I would just send these newspaper columns out and then I would never get any feedback. I never knew if anybody was reading them. 
So I said, well, let's just skip the newspaper and I'll create a blog and post all these things there. Mm -hmm. And so I blog about natural history, which is basically what do animals do? What do they eat? Where do they live? Uh, and I blog about science and uh, I critique the media sometimes when I think that they're not doing a good job uh, portraying wildlife mm -hmm. and wildlife issues. Yeah. That's been great. Um, another, the, the, it really took off, I think, when I started taking on these hoaxes. And many of you have probably seen some of these by email. Like, hey, there's a giant rattlesnake. It's from this town. Uh -huh. It was just killed. Um, those are usually hoaxes. Right. So when I wrote a post on that, that's when things kind of took off. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing that in uh, either in your book or on your website. I don't remember which one. Um, that addressing the way that media portrays portrays animals is super important. Um, I saw my Twitter feed kind of blow up when when the Lion King came out because um, <laughs> I've I have some friends studying carnivores and they're very upset about how the hyenas were portrayed. Um, so. Snakes has the exact same prop, right? Huge problem um, in the way that they're portrayed. I mean, how many of you guys are scared of snakes? <laughs> scared of hyenas? Me. Me, smile. Me, me, me. Yeah, so a lot of people are, are scared of snakes here. Um, why do you think that is, and, and what do you think we can do to change that perception? I love snakes. Um, I always have. I just don't know all that much about them. Yeah, you're right. They have a bad reputation. And part of it is, like you said, similar to the hyena issue. Uh, so that's the Lion King. But if you look at the Jungle Book, mm -hmm. who's the villain? It's a snake. A huge snake. Yeah, that's right. A huge, I forgot about huge that. scary snake. And that goes all the way back to the Bible with Adam and Eve. And the snake is the bad dude, right? Yeah. So uh, snakes are the villains. Harry Potter as well. Uh, the evil house of Slytherin, right? Right. Yeah. It's snake. all over. So it is. It is all over. And uh, I think that, you know, some people will say that we're evolutionarily, evolutionarily uh, keyed into automatically hate snakes and fear them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure by that. I think a combination of things. I think that we're keyed into be fascinated with snakes and to recognize them. Mm -hmm. And then kind of society and pop culture make us scared. Okay. That's my theory. And what's your approach to combat that? Well, there's no combination of words that you could just say to somebody like a spell. And mm -hmm. uh, people ask me this all the time. Oh, my neighbor uh, is about to kill a snake. What should I say to him? And it's like, I can't. I don't know. But what I can do is present a different point of view mm -hmm. and do it over the, over the long term and I talk about why I value snakes and why I appreciate them. And I hope that some of that is communicated to the people that I talk to. Okay. Very cool. Um, another myth that somebody, or not necessarily myth, a question that somebody put in chat is, is it true some snakes can go two years without food? That's a long That would time. be a really long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's almost as long as these fish have gone without food. Two so years, guys. Two years. <laughs> donate, or they're gonna die. <laughs> uh, two years would be a really long time. Uh, two months is probably more realistic. Sure. Uh, but they can go uh, longer than that, especially in some of these colder climates where their metabolism isn't going as fast. Okay. Um, 
Someone in chat has also asked a few times if you own snakes yourself. I do not. I am interested in snakes in the wild, their wild populations, their conservation. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not as much of a pet owner myself, mm -hmm. but I have had snakes and turtles in the past. Okay. What, tell us about your, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your work with turtles? Um, sea turtles primarily, right? Sea turtles recently, but okay. most of my career has been freshwater turtles. Okay. These are the... Yeah, snapping turtles, painted turtles, things like that, that you'll see. My master's degree was on how do roads affect these turtle populations? Oh, and uh, they're a problem. Yeah, they're a big problem uh, because the females do something that the males don't. They leave the water to go lay eggs. Mm -hmm. And it's on those migrations that they get hit by cars. And that's sad, right? We know that's sad. But because of turtle strategies in their life history it can actually cause the population to crash right they have a lot of babies and a lot of the babies are eaten by raccoons things like that that's okay uh -huh. because the adults live for 50 60 70 years and they can lay more eggs every year the problem is that when those females are killed before they've had those many years of reproduction and that's what's happening with the roads okay. so that was a big problem Okay, someone in chat asked about these animal highways that people are building. I saw a really, really bizarre one on Twitter. Um, it was like a salmon shoot, <laughs> like tube. Do you know what I'm talking the cannon. about? But yeah, the it salmon was like, cannon. I think I, I think I retweeted it, you guys, if you saw that. Yeah, it was, it's a literal cannon. What do you think about that kind of strategy or animal highways in general? I think that they're needed. Okay. However, I would like us to focus, let's not put that dam in the first place. Let's not construct that road in the first place. That way we don't have to go backwards and come up with these things like turtle cannons or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, and just think about how animals use the landscape before we start constructing it. Just out of curiosity, what was your reaction to the salmon cannon? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give it a shot. Obviously. Okay. okay. <laughs> it did look I think like it, fun. It did look like fun. I think it's really cool. Uh, um, I think it's innovative. Uh -huh. But again, I, I wish that we wouldn't have to get so creative just so that animals can use the landscape like they have for millions of years. Right. Okay. So Not your to work... be a downer. No, that's fine. Your work, um, your work recently was with sea turtles, and now um, it's with just more, like a wider range of amphibians snakes in particular or... yes okay uh my last position was at the georgia sea turtle center in uh, jekyll island georgia mm -hmm. and my focus there was on sea turtles and now my day job is at the florida fish and wildlife conservation commission and we're interested in all the amphibians and reptiles that are basically in trouble things like alligator snakes, turtles indigo snakes uh, striped newts and everything in between okay very cool. Um, and then, so with Alongside Wildlife, you said that you you guys have um, distributed like $20,000, right, for, for research projects. Do you guys do projects yourself as well? Or do you just fund other projects? Mostly we're funding other projects because mm -hmm. we're right at this, we're right at kind of an awkward stage. We're at an awkward growth stage. And so 
all of the money that's coming in, it's from small donors. It's a grassroots organization. It's not like the major organizations that have millionaires and billionaires on their board. Right. We're made up of recurring small donors. And so that's why these donations that we're getting today are so uh, appreciated. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so most of what we do is give it out. Uh, we do have one project in Tennessee on Hellbenders, which is the largest salamander in the United States. Uh, can we ask everybody if we know if they know what a hellbender is? Anybody? And you have to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Lots so of they're they're a salamander. They can get two feet long, and they're in streams all up the East Coast, and uh, so they're called the hellbender. There you go. Wow, you were quick. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, so they're a cool creature, uh, but they're in trouble uh, in many different states because they really require high water quality. And when you have things like forest clearing, there's a lot of erosion, there's water pollution, and things like silt will just cover the bottom of the stream mm-hmm. and cover all the rocks that they use to hide in. Okay. And so one of the projects that we're doing is we're basically expanding an existing project that is putting in, they're basically constructing these nest boxes out of concrete and putting them in the stream oh. so they have new places to hide and to nest. Okay. Yeah, pretty cool. That's really And uh, through funds that came through the foundation, we were able to expand that project to an entirely new stream and hopefully let these giant salamanders hang on there as well. That's cool. So how do you guys pick the projects that you fund? Well, the first step is to email me, mm-hmm. and uh, basically it's really a brief few words about their project, and if it's closely aligned to what the foundation is all about, which is communicating science with the goal of reducing human-wildlife conflict, um, generating new data that helps us figure out how to do it, mm-hmm. if it's really closely aligned, then I'll ask them to submit a proposal. Okay. And then it's, it's viewed by... Uh, primarily me, but also the board and our development specialist. Okay. Uh, we changed things up this year, and we usually the grants are five hundred to a thousand dollars. But this year we're going to be offering a ten thousand dollar grant specifically for projects that increase the involvement of minorities or members of marginalized groups. These are folks that are really underrepresented. Conservation. So we're not only trying to conserve wildlife, but we're trying to uh, increase the amount of people and the diversity of people that are actually able to do this conservation work. That's cool. I love that. I did. I saw that on your website earlier. Um, that's really, really great. So the donations that that are coming in today, we're at two hundred and not, or pretty much two hundred and ten dollars. Um, awesome. By the way, yeah, that's awesome, you guys. So that is that going? Where where is that going to be um, allocated? That'll go right into our grants program, which cool. is about where 90% of the funds that we get, because none of us are paid and uh, there's no salary. Again, the big conservation organizations, they do great work, but they also have millions and millions of dollars in just payroll and yeah. uh, administrative stuff. And we right. don't do that. So pretty much all of the money that comes in goes out. So you guys, um, in effect, are, are funding conservation projects like actual research that's so cool um 
That's sorry, I got distracted by something. Um. Okay, we had another question. Somebody in chat has a few times asked if you can speak about anything involving the Everglades snake problem, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, somebody brought this up on Twitter too. Yes, that's uh, probably the same person. Yeah, yeah. And so what's happening in South Florida is that it's a really nice, warm climate all the time. And that means reptiles really like it. Mm -hmm. And that's the case for native reptiles like alligators and diamondback rattlesnakes and indigo snakes. But the problem is that it's a hub for the pet trade too. So there's lots of other creatures coming in. Sometimes they escape, sometimes they're released, and then they become established. Right. And that is a big issue in South Florida with Burmese pythons. Yeah. There's probably thousands of them down there. And people just release them because of their size or... It's hard to say. It could be that they escaped. It could be that they were released. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of great pet owners that could do a great job taking care of these big snakes, but not everybody can do it. And some escape or are released. And what's happened now is it's not just the released animals. They're out there breeding and reproducing and having babies. And so there's thousands and thousands of pythons down there. Right. And that's a problem for everything down there, I, I would imagine. Um, it is a big problem for small mammals. Yeah. Even even medium-sized animals, mammals, they're, they're eating them all out. Um, you know, their populations are, are really crashing. But what's interesting is that it might actually help turtles because the pythons are eating the raccoons and the fox and things like that. Those are animals that eat turtle eggs. Oh. So there's those predators around. So we're not just having these immediate effects, but now there's kind of a cascade of effects and it's, it's a pretty big mess. So Jeff in chat asked, um, is there still a bounty for killing the pythons? Is that uh, it's, a, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but you can apply to be an official python hunter. That's a paid position. Yeah. And they also have uh, roundups. They've had a couple roundups where people go down in teams and try and catch pythons, and there's prizes for biggest and most, things like that. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't know about that. Um, yeah, I did it. I did it a couple of years ago uh, with a few friends, and we did catch a ten-foot python. Wow, that's crazy! Yeah. You're a python hunter, also. <laughs> I've, been, I, I've you're, been called worse. Oh, <laughs> you're the only guest so far that I've had to write a note card for for an introduction because you've done so many cool things. <laughs> I didn't want to uh, leave things out you. when I was writing them. Um, <laughs> And I probably did. Um, oh, maybe not. Amassing 7 million views on your blog. Did that, that started with that rattlesnake post that you were talking about? Yeah, that was a huge one. Uh, because people get this email about this rattlesnake. And it says it's in their town or the next town over. So they'll Google it. And then they'll come to my blog. But... Um, I think another source is just that herpetologists and biologists, they get this email over and over and over again. Is it's true? And now instead of talking about why it's fake, why rattlesnakes don't get that big, they can just provide the link to the page. Okay, cool. Um, 
shoot, there was another question in chat, and I already forgot what it was. Um, somebody asked if snakes secrete any type of oil like humans do. Um, not that I'm aware of, but they do have a number of self-defense mechanisms. And you kind of have to hand it to these snakes. If you had no arms and no legs, how long would you last in the forest? Probably not Fair that point. long, right? Right. Yeah, so they come they they get really creative and one of the ways that they can defend themselves is they can't use their arms to fight back, but they will also kind of uh, excrete uh, feces and everything else that's in their cloaca, which is their one opening. So it can be really smelly and disgusting. Uh, I want to describe it as oil, but it certainly is something and you don't want it on you. Okay. And chat, I just realized what that question was, by the way. Um, well done. Do you have a favorite snake? Every time I ask someone about this or ask one of the people on the podcast, they're like, I can't pick a favorite. I, I love them. Um, do you have like a family of snakes that you like or do you have a favorite? I can pick a favorite. Oh, what is it? Yes. For the first time on this podcast, I can pick a favorite. This now. is huge. <laughs> uh, I, I really have to give credit to the Eastern Diamondback snake. They are just these beasts. They can get, you know, seven, eight pounds. Six feet long, really cool creatures. They just exude respect and poise and dignity. And, uh, but unfortunately, they're in trouble. They have a bad reputation. A lot of people are scared of them. A lot of people kill them. And, and that means their populations are barely hanging on in some areas. But it's a really cool creature. Where are they? Where do they live? The eastern diamondback rattlesnake is in the southeastern United States. Okay. Uh, Largely South Carolina, down through Florida, over into um, Mississippi, uh, and, and Louisiana a little bit. Okay. Um, but then there's the Western Diamondback, which is uh, a much larger range out west. That's what we have out here, I think. I'm in um, Central California. Yeah, you might have the Western... It's confusing. There's the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake, but then there's also the Western Rattlesnake, which is a different species. And it looks like you've got the Western Diamondback up there. But then if you if you do just Western Rattlesnake, Interesting. you might see something that looks familiar to you. That is so cool. Um, somebody asked if there's... So I'm, I'm a falconer. Um, I do... My, my thing is rehabilitation um, of, of birds of prey. Somebody asked if there's anything similar in the herpetology world. Um, if you do rehab of, of turtles, tortoises, snakes, amphibians, what, if that's common. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the, the Georgia Sea Turtle Center, which was my previous day job, uh, it's a turtle hospital. And so stranded sea turtles are brought there. Uh, turtles that are hit by cars are brought there. And they're rehabilitated and eventually released, hopefully. Um, but there are, on a smaller scale, there are wildlife rehab centers that specialize in turtles and snakes. You know, they're, they're animals just like everything else, and they need our help, too. That's cool. Um, so, fun tip, $5, um, a few minutes ago. Going back Thank to the you. donations, can you tell us about some of the projects that Alongside Wildlife has funded? Sure. Uh, we really want to figure out how to share landscapes with people. We don't want it to be 
there's cities over here and then there's a pristine wilderness over here mm -hmm. if we do that all our national parks are just going to be these islands in a sea of development right. we want to figure out what's going on in between how can we help people share the landscape with wildlife so it's not us versus them we're just all there at the same time so one cool project that we just funded was uh it's in argentina and basically there's these ranchers down there and their sheep are getting preyed on by puma cougars okay. mountain lions mm -hmm. and that's a problem you know it's easy for us to say well they were there first and that's true but you know, this is their livelihood, and I don't want to create a situation, you know, conservation biologists in general don't want to encourage a situation where it's us versus them. And so what they're doing is trying these innovative techniques like having guard dogs with the sheep and the goats and the llamas or certain lights that are uh, positioned to scare the mountain lions, and they're trying them all out in an experimental way to see what will reduce uh, predation. Okay. So that's really one of the applied, uh, really on the ground, how is this helping animals? But we also like to back up a little bit. We can't come up with these conservation plants if we don't know basic biology about these animals. So we also fund basic studies just where these things live. Like we funded a, a graduate student in Arkansas to just expand their project so they could go survey for dragonflies and figure out what species are living in the different streams. Cool. So that's the kind of stuff that we like to support. Um, also, orangutans are, are kind of in trouble. Their forests are getting smaller and smaller, and they're also increasing large while experiencing these large fires. And so we sent some money to a team of people that are basically they're putting out these fires in these forests that orangutans are using. These are the kinds of stuff that, that the donations go to. Cool. Um, Sky, thank you for the host. Jeff, thank you for the five dollars and three cents uh, he said the cent amount was bothering him um so we're at 220 dollars um which is really cool so so alongside wildlife doesn't it's not at all um narrowed down to herpetology it's it's all wildlife it's all wildlife and uh, a lot of the proposals that we get are focused on mammals we also get a lot of proposals from nepal and i wouldn't have guessed that Interesting. Uh, but we, yeah, I guess there's a lot going on in Nepal, and my guess is that there aren't a lot of funding sources that focus on there. So we're happy to fill that gap, try as best as we can. We funded a project to figure out what snow leopards were eating around farms and ranchers uh, to try and figure out whether that's a threat that we need to pay more attention to. Uh, we just funded a, a conservation group to put on an owl festival. Oh. It's probably not. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's That's not awesome. really. I don't think a lot of people think about owls when you think about Nepal, but there's right. a ton of different species there and they're in bad shape. So it's kind of a community festival. They're going to come in, learn about owls and learn about how to live alongside them. I love That's that. The... That's so cool. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I actually in my biology class, I'm also a, a college student. Um, in my biology class the other day, someone came in one of those like volunteer tourism type type organizations um they're they're sending students to nepal to do conservation education um so that's interesting <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that um anonymous with four dollars 
Um, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, um, I, I just want to point out that uh, one of the things that we do is we also rely on monthly recurring donors. And so if anybody's feeling really passionate about uh, the work that I've been talking about today, I hope they find me on uh, Patreon. It's the Alongside Wildlife Foundation. Mm -hmm. And just kind of that recurring donors gives us a lot of stability and gives us confidence and um, allows us to plan for the future. So hope you might consider checking us out there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's yeah, cool I think we... is that... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say what's cool is that we're not talking about people giving $100 or $500 or $1,000. Most of the donors are just giving $1 a month. And when you divide it up by hundreds and hundreds of people, together it's this grassroots conservation organization that's really i like to think making a difference yeah that's awesome that's one of the really cool things about twitch is that um when you you know when you have this many viewers and everybody gives a little bit it turns into a lot um and we've all learned here how how important um donating to nonprofits is and, and how much they rely on on donations um so i'm glad yeah, i found it makes you a difference. Um, yeah no i'm glad me too this is me too Thank you. Um, what other questions do I have for you? And King, wow, okay, good timing. King Ani with $100. Wow. Thank you so, so much. If that's you, by the way, thank you so much. I'm going to DM you. Um, they can write whatever name they want in the, in the donation, so I'm not sure if this is a girl that I know. Um, but if it is, thank you so much. And if it's not, thank you so much. Um, oh, my gosh, it was you. Hello. Thank you. Um, I'm yes, gonna, thank you. I'm going to VIP. I don't know why you're not vip already. Anonymous donated a dollar and three cents. Okay. <laughs> thank thank you. you very much. It adds up. It adds up. And uh, I also, you know, happy to give out stickers. There's oh, a whole cool. bunch of stickers and things like that. And then, you know, there's koozies that you can put your drinks on, things like that. What you can, can you tell us about your logo? I know there was a section about that on your website. But I yeah, the logo out. is uh, Black Bear. Cool. And I picked a black bear because they're really a species of contrast. As soon as we started modifying the landscape in the 17, 18, early 19th century, the black bears were just wiped out. They were one of these big predators, right? Mm -hmm. And people don't like living around them. But now they're kind of, like I said, a species of contrast because they're really resilient. And so now they're coming back to a lot of these places where we wipe them out. And so they're not only a symbol of the negative effects that we can have on the ecosystem, they're also a symbol of hope and, and they can show that even the most drastic effects can be undone and they're kind of emblematic of how we need to get creative to learn to live alongside them. So that's, that's why cool. I picked. Yeah. And then it's the, the Rocky Mountain National Park uh -huh. in the back. Uh, I decided I really wanted to make a go of this foundation. While I was on a camping trip there, and so that kind of symbolizes that. Wow. Uh, this is the Big Dipper, which is also known as Ursa Major, and so it has kind of a connection to uh, the indigenous groups and their relationship to the constellations and and bears. And so there's a lot of a lot of ground that we cover in this this logo. That's awesome. Well, speaking of, <laughs> where do I go to get the stickers? You can do Command Org, um, hey. and I think on their How to Help tab. Um, the other website is that correct or is there a different way yeah that's right if you go to the how, how to help tag uh it'll 
link you to Patreon, and uh, I, I'd be glad to hook you up if, if you sign up there. Thank you. Very cool. There you go. Um, speaking of conservation, can you tell us a little bit about those sirens are going off again. That's unfortunate. Sorry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like conservation status of snakes? Because that's something that I've never talked about here. Um, I, I genuinely could not tell you a species of snake that's endangered. I don't know about anything. Okay. By the end of this podcast, I want you to be able to name two of them. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, and Thanks. so these snakes... Yeah, we don't give them a lot of credit, but they're facing a lot of the same threats that all these other creatures are. Mm -hmm. Habitat loss, climate change, uh, you name it, paving over their wetlands and their forests. So there are a lot of snakes that are of conservation concern. Um, in the southeastern United States, you've got the indigo snake, mm -hmm. which is federally listed. It's on the Endangered Species Act. Okay. Uh, and I've, um, I've been involved in a few projects trying to reintroduce those animals back to their historic range. Maybe a few decades down the road, we'll be able to take them off the Endangered Species Act. Oh, these are and the ones with the, like, iridescent kind of... Yeah. Right? It's a real pretty animal. Yeah, that's very And cool. it's North America's largest native snake. Oh. Um, yeah. I didn't know that. Fun fact, yeah, long. It's it's actually a controversial, debatable, but it's it's up there. They can get up to eight feet long. That's a huge... That's massive. <laughs> Sorry, my dog hears the sirens. <laughs> okay, I thought that was you. No, uh, I'm good. <laughs> Anonymous of five dollars, thank you. Um, no. No. No, 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 no. I have two dogs. No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> I thought they howl. They howl when there's the donation, right? excited about about the indigo snake okay so the indigo snake can be up to eight feet long and it's the largest in north america but that's debatable exactly okay. and even people who don't like snakes they tend to like indigo snakes because they do something that they love they eat rattlesnakes okay and so if you don't like snakes most people can at least tolerate the indigo snake in their yard but they're losing habitat and that's the big problem uh, Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake is, is a snake we've already mentioned. They really need kind of these open forests where they can bask and get the sun. Uh, but they're also, they're not only losing the habitat, but people are just kind of killing them every time they see one. Um, so they don't have federal protection yet, but some people will say that they should have it. Right. Timber rattlesnakes in the northeastern United States, they're in pretty bad shape. Because every winter, you know, it's really tough up there. It's cold, so it's tough for a reptile. And they need to find really specific habitats in the winter, like these underground limestone caverns. And so they will all kind of congregate in certain areas, which is neat. They can find each other. But then if there's somebody that doesn't like snakes, they know where to find these animals. And they can really wipe out a ton of them from a whole landscape just by going to that one spot. So it's it's a problem. And they're, they've disappeared from a few states like Maine, um, almost gone from New Hampshire, uh, but they're making a comeback in some other areas like Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania is kind of a happy story. They used to have rattlesnake roundups there, but then they started to appreciate the role that these animals have in the landscape, and they got rid of those roundups. They don't kill the timber rattlesnakes like that anymore. 
Okay. So speaking of federal protections, you mentioned for, what was it, the West, the Western? Uh, um, there's the Eastern, Eastern indigo yeah. snake. Um, do you want to talk a little bit? It's Zoyo388, thank you. So we're at $350 even. They've kind of been wow. fighting in donations about about making the cent amount even. <laughs> that's fine. Um, you guys, let's see. You, you have fun. Um, <laughs> it's not old news. I mean, it was it was like, a what, about a month ago? Can you talk a little bit about the changes to the Endangered Species Act? Um, what, what your thoughts on that was? I did see you. I think I saw you tweet about it a little bit. Yeah, I can give you my personal opinion. Okay. And basically... The Endangered Species Act is a really important piece of legislation that not only protects these animals that are in trouble, but forces us to work on their recovery, to bring them back. And uh, in some cases, that could lead to conflicts with industries that don't want to take those animals into account. They want to do their business. And right. That's fine on their point of view. But uh, a lot of people are like me. And that we say, we can always have another business. We can't always have another species. We can't always have this other habitat. So we really need to prioritize the protection of these creatures. Right. Uh, but but that, that causes conflict. And so uh, it's, it's true that any piece of legislation can be improved. But when you see it done by an administration that's just trying to dismantle environmental regulations and weaken protections at every step, you really have to stay vigilant. And that's kind of what's happening with, with the Endangered Species Act is they're trying to take away some of those protections, right. make it easier to ignore those animals. Right. So, guys, we talked about this um, not on the pod, on the podcast a little bit, but more on my stream. Um, the Endangered Species Act, uh, the changes are, are making it so that you can start, correct me if I'm wrong, please, um, so that you can start or people can consider the economic impact. Um, when deciding whether or not to protect a species. Um, so that that's what we're talking about if, if you weren't caught up there. Yeah, I mean, if, if a threat is a, a threat is a threat, regardless of how much it costs, right? And so I don't really think that we should be thinking about whether we're going to lose money to save a species. I really right. don't think this is my personal opinion. You know, money's irrelevant. We should be doing everything we can to save these species. And you know, figure out the economic stuff later. Um, by the way, Anonymous tipped $50. Um, so thank you to, to whoever that was. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Aaron um, tipped $3 and asked, are there any animal podcasts either of you listen to? Actually, you know, ironically, don't really listen to <laughs> podcasts. Um, there's a couple ones on Spotify. Um, I listen to like an animal fun facts podcast, but not anything um not anything very dense or like <laughs> or anything like that do you I, listen to podcasts i don't listen to a lot of podcasts but have you heard uh ologies yet of what ologies it's uh by ali ward and each episode she interviews a different ologist and oh that's uh, cool yeah check check that out that podcast has really kind of taken off uh, there was a herpetology episode uh, last year or so, and I was on that. That was a lot of fun. That's a great idea. Ology. I like that. Um, yeah, she does a good job. 
Danny DeVito tipped a dollar and said, since we know his favorite, does he have a least favorite species of snake? <laughs> now that is That's a hard question. question. I, c I couldn't answer that for birds. So actually, I... Mm, <laughs> I've been bit by the most blue and gold macaws in my life. So those are serious. Oh, they're gnarly. I had an internship over the summer um, at an exotic bird sanctuary, which means that I went to work and just got bit every day. Um, <laughs> so so I do lean a little bit away from blue and gold macaws. I found them to be more aggressive, but I do think they're beautiful and very smart. I don't know that I'd say they're my least favorite, but if I had to pick one, it may be. It may, it may just be blue and gold macaws. It's tough because you can find something to appreciate about any yeah, species. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, is that actually Danny DeVito? No, no. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he just hangs out. That's his name. That'd be cool, though. Um, SMK tipped $50 and said, save the snakes. Wow. Um, thank you so much. We're at $460.41, you guys. We're so close. His fish are going to die. <laughs> they're starving. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, they're coming up to the top. They're looking for food. It's really sad. <laughs> it's really sad. Oh, uh, no. You were talking about the Endangered Species Act. And yeah. another really important piece of legislation is the uh, Migratory Bird Protection Act. And mm -hmm. that's probably something that, you know, relates to the birds that you're, you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And um, that protects birds. If there's this industrial action that is resulting in birds dying, mm -hmm. then they've got to stop. Right. But recently they changed it and they said, well, as long as you weren't specifically trying to kill birds, it's okay. okay. And that really just kind of took the teeth out of this legislation. It's, it's a problem. Yeah. Cause nobody's going out there specifically to kill birds. Not many people, right? Kill birds, right. So an, like an example, yeah. I, talking like, like wind energy type stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Whether it's wind energy or even just, developing a series of wetlands where these animals live if they were doing it for their business and there's a business reason then that's okay okay but, but yeah so that's a, that's a big problem that's very disheartening um on a more positive note rubik donated 39 dollars and 59 cents which puts us at 500 dollars even <laughs> You know, okay. Boys, it's time to feed the fish. <laughs> Should we do a drum roll here? Yes, let's do it. Here we go. Let's see if they're excited here. Wow. I was late, but there's. They're so happy. <laughs> I'm so. <laughs> I'm not quick at all. Um... They okay, haven't well, eaten they in got... two weeks. The production value of this stream is incredible. Um, I started playing the drum roll after you fed them, but I'm glad that they're fed. Are you guys happy? So cool. Anonymous yeah, with a dollar and three cents, and the donation I message think... was just cents. So thank you for. Thank you. It not even What's with the the three cents? Three cents seems to be a popular. You know, it's the first time that this has happened on the podcast, but they're going back and forth with wanting it to be an even, like a clean dollar amount. Um, I understand. And That's then, important. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so I guess that's what that is. Well, is there something that I'm missing? Um, they're Pepe laughing. Um, oh, a while ago, Diet, Dionis, I don't know how to say her name, I'm sorry. Um, but he said, he tipped $3 and said, if you're bit, the staying comp, she doesn't know. Okay, there's something that I don't know that they do. That's also something that they love to do here. Um, he said, if you're a bit, does staying calm keep your heart rate low, staying calm and keeping your heart rate low give you more time to get to the hospital, or does it not matter if you freak out and PP overheat, which is an emote for stressing out? Yeah, it, it is important to stay calm, as calm as possible. You know, you're going to be stressed out a little bit, and you don't want to get stressed out about getting stressed out, but it is true that when you're anxious and when you're stressed, your heartbeat is going to be beating faster and that's potentially going to make the venom go you know disperse a little bit so try to stay calm it's going to be okay um being killed by a snake is actually pretty rare mm -hmm. uh it's going to hurt though uh, but right. hopefully hopefully you'll just have a good story about it. right and you've never been bit by a venomous snake no i have not there's been a few close well i call them close calls because I was actually really close to a venomous snake without knowing it, oh. uh, but it, it just never, it's, they're not really that aggressive. They're not trying to get you. And so many times they're undisturbed. They're just going to sit there and hope that you don't see them. Um, sacred, you're incorrect, but thank you for the bits. Um, somebody earlier in chat asked if it's possible for a snake to be poisonous but not venomous do you guys know the difference between poisonous and venomous i think we i mean we've definitely talked about that yes yes no lots of yeses some no's could you tell us the difference between those things for those of you who don't know sure uh basically venom is something that's injected into you and poison is something that you ingest so if you eat a toad and get sick, that's because you ingested poison. Right. Uh, but if a snake bites you and you get sick, that's venom. Okay. And so, and so we've got an interesting question here. Can a snake be poisonous? Basically, will it make you sick if you eat it, but mm -hmm. not venomous? And there are a couple species like that. Um, the garter snakes in this country, they will eat newts that are poisonous and that poison kind of seeps through their own tissues so they become poisonous as well oh i didn't know that yeah and there's also a snake in asia called the keelback and they will also eat poisonous creatures but then they have specific glands on the back of their head that absorb those poisons and so they become poison themselves. I'm not aware of a snake that makes its own poison, but they can take it from other species and use them. So it's pretty cool. Wow. That's super neat. Um, I thought the answer to that question was going to be no. <laughs> well, okay. that's because you didn't finish the book because I do talk about them, but it's towards the end. True. Okay. I'll, I will get there. <laughs> Shannon with $2.26. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> exposed i got i didn't say that i'd read the whole thing i said that i hadn't i'm in the middle of midterms right now i'm doing my best um, understandable <laughs> for those of you who were not here earlier um which I, I think most of you have been here the whole time but if you weren't here earlier um 
Dave has written a book in the in the bottom corner there. This book, Secret of Snake. Oh wow, we did that at the same time. Look at us go. Um, you can do command book and chat. Um, if if you would like a copy, it's wonderful. It's very colorful. I know you guys like that. Um, it's a really good book, um, and there's there's a lot of good learning in it. So thank you. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon or anywhere stores. But then that that you have has instructions for getting an autographed copy, and I'm happy to do that too. Very cool. So command book and chat, command blog and chat, command org and chat, um, blog for Dave's blog, and then um, command org for Alongside Wildlife, which is where the donations are going today. We're at $554. Um, Street tipped $50 uh, three minutes ago and said, update the donation wow. goal. <laughs> so I did. Um, All right. But thank you so much um, for doing that. Um, Street and, and those of you who are donating, if you don't know, the donations are going to Alongside Wildlife, and they go pretty much directly into grants for research projects um, for people that are trying to make living harmoniously with wildlife more feasible. I don't know if I said that very well. Um, that's, that's basically our motto, yeah. Okay, very cool. Is it getting dark in here? It's a little, it's it's later here. Let me put a light on. Okay. I feel like it's sure. just kind of lurking in the dark now. Are we having fun? That's a little better. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks for doing that. Um, do you guys, what other, what questions do you guys have? Do you have snake questions? Do you have questions about the book? Do you have questions about his background research? Um, anything like that? Yeah, a lot of people are interested in careers in wildlife conservation. Yes, that's, that's always it. a really good question to ask. I need to start asking every podcast or every guest that um, is, what is your advice if they have interest in working with animals or working in conservation? I, I shouldn't have brought it up because that's a really tough question. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was lucky in that I always knew I was interested in. And I was also really lucky and privileged to be able to do volunteer opportunities and internship opportunities that uh, basically working for free and that gave me some great experience but not everybody has that that privilege and so I, I was really lucky but so I don't want to say just do free work because that's not fair and not everybody has access to that but maybe there are some kind of opportunities uh, that fit in with your schedule uh, to just get a taste of it just get a little experience figure out if it's right for you um, if you want to uh, most people in our field do go to college, so I would recommend working towards a biology or any college. And um, you know, just take all the classes that you're think that you think are interesting, um, and in the back of your mind, be thinking about grads graduate school. And uh, basically, with a, a a bachelor's degree, there's a lot of technician jobs that you can get. It's kind of hard these days to get long-term career in this field with just a bachelor. So although some people do it, uh, most, I don't want to say most, but many people go on for the, for their master's degree if they want to do kind of research mm -hmm. in on the ground conservation. Um, so your research with your master's degree in, um, has taken you out to do field research. Someone in chat asked um, how much you've traveled for your research, where you've traveled for your research. Um, most of my work has been on the East Coast of the United States, 
but I have taken shorter trips here and there. I've done some research in Costa Rica to study mud turtles. Um, I was in Brazil for a short time, just doing kind of a small study, figuring out uh, mammal density in different areas. Uh, I was in Azerbaijan for a couple weeks to figure out how we can reduce the impact of road construction on European pond turtles down there. Right. So that kind of stuff. Most of my work is is on the East Coast. And so the travel would be to a field site or a local lake or a lake river or things like that. Okay. Very cool. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with some. There were some good questions in here. Um, someone asked about snake charming. And this is something that this per- I think this person, maybe a couple people, have asked a few times throughout the podcast. Um, again, something that I know nothing about. Yeah, I think that they may be referring to kind of this scene that you'll see in in you know movies, books, and things like that. It's of uh, a Asian person with kind of a flute, and they're playing right. the song, and then the cobra come out, and they're swimming back and forth. Right. Um, what's probably happening there is the cobra is following the where the flute is moving around. It's not really being hypnotized or in a trance. It's just trying to cue in on that movement. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in some cases, those animals have their mouths sewn shut. And so it's not really that risky for people to oh. be around them. Yeah, not really a fun, not a fun situation. I hadn't heard about that. Um, another question that came up in the chat was um, how you feel about the portrayal of, of snakes in media. We did kind of talk about that earlier, um, but I think Short answer is that it's it's unfortunate. Um, I think there are a, a pretty, there's a pretty decent sized list of animals that have been portrayed in not the best way um, in movies. We were talking about the Lion King earlier and and hyenas, and then um, was it the Jungle Book um, and yeah. and snakes. So yeah, and it's in basic you know news that you watch on TV and the newspaper as well. It's not just movies you'll have people running stories about, look at this big snake I killed. And then it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Or, um, you know, a snake crawled through a forest and was seen and all of a sudden it's a really dangerous situation. That's how they're trying to sell it. So even just these daily portrayals in the news and the media are, are biased against snakes. I mean, they're just crawling around doing their own thing. It's not always a life and death situation. Right. Um, and then the fake Danny DeVito asked um what you, what you got your phd in if you haven't already talked about it or if you missed that yeah we haven't talked about that yet i got my phd from auburn university war eagle in case there's any auburn fans out there <laughs> and uh my field work took place in the florida panhandle basically there's this unique forest type called the longleaf pine forest and historically before we came around Lightning would strike somewhere and there would be a small fire every couple of years. And that helped the underbrush stay really limited. And it was a nice open forest. But then we came around and we said fire's bad. And so we stopped managing these areas of forest and they became overgrown with hardwood trees and bushes and shrubs. Mm -hmm. And that is bad news for a lot of the specialist species like gopher tortoises and indigo snakes and red cockaded woodpeckers. So what people are trying to do is how can we restore those forests? Should we go in and we should cut everything down? Should we spray herbicides? Should we just throw fire back on the landscape? 
And so my PhD was trying to figure out how those different strategies affected the wildlife assemblages. And the good news is that if you restore the habitat, as long as you wait long enough, and you keep at it for many years, you can restore those wildlife assemblages, but you do need fire. And so fire is kind of key to that landscape. That's really interesting. I'm glad yeah, you, I'm glad that you asked about that, Danny. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good question, particularly because of how often fire and forest fires are in the news over by you in California. Right. And they're really portrayed as a, a problem, and they are. But in some specific habitats, fire is actually necessary, uh, but on a much smaller scale. We're not talking about these big wildfires. We're talking about small fires through the underbrush. Right. Interesting. I never really thought about that. Um, someone said, da, 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 da. Got, does Dave's organization do any type of educational work within the community to promote snake conservation? Yeah, that's kind of how it started is my, my outreach. Uh, I, it wasn't part of any formal position of mine. So I said, well, instead of me just doing this on my free time, um, why don't I just create this organization and do it under that umbrella? So the blog, Twitter, all that stuff is basically stuff that I do on behalf of the foundation. Now, if they're asking if I go out in person and do animal shows, I, I have done that in the past. It's not a major component of what I do now. There's other people that really do it well, and they have fun doing it. I have more fun just being on my computer and answering questions. And so instead of trying to force myself into something I'm not crazy about, mm -hmm. I just kind of worked my strengths. Right. Okay. Um, we got a couple questions and donations here. Uh, someone said, how do snake eyes not dry up without eyelids? Um, and then also, is the story of Cleopatra using a snake to commit suicide impossible? And if not, what Egyptian snake would do that? Oh. Questions are getting tougher. Yeah. I don't know how a snake keeps its eyelid moist without eyelids, but they do manage, right? I don't know. It's got to be some kind of internal physiological technique. But kudos to them. That is a that's a great point that uh, snakes don't have uh, eyelids. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of lizards that don't have legs, mm -hmm. and so it's really easy for people to confuse these legless lizards and snakes. And one way that you can do it is to look for the eyelids. And if it winks at you, you know it's a lizard, not a snake. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I had never thought it's, about that either. Um. So I'm here for so the Cleopatra question. Yes. So well, let's see, it was an asp or an adder? Uh, an asp, yeah. Okay. And she got bitten by it? Am I remembering this correct? Um, you know, I'm literally on Wikipedia because okay. I don't know. It says poison herself using a, a hairpin with the venom on it. I'd say that that is theoretically possible. Okay. Um, it would need to be a really venomous snake if there's just that really tiny bit of venom to kill you. But mm -hmm. yeah, it is possible, especially if you get it into a vein. So I, I don't recommend that. Interesting question. Um, I thought you were going to say that she swallowed the venom, and uh, which would I, which would make it poison, right? Even though it's the same thing. Yeah. It's not being injected there. Well, it's interesting. Just, I mean, it's Wikipedia. It says. 
<laughs> but it says Cleopatra poisoned herself using either a toxic ointment or a sharp implement such as a hairpin. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd say it's possible, but really kind of unlikely because the, the venom would be sitting on the pin for a long time. It would probably be, and it wouldn't be as uh, likely to kill somebody. All right. Um, we got last donation question here is, are water moccasins as aggressive as they are rumored to be? Um, some say that they'll actually follow you. I think that's in your book as well. Yeah, I don't know if I would have a book if it wasn't for cotton there's like six or seven myths about them in there and they all relate to this idea that they're really aggressive they're going to chase you they're going to fall into your boat they want to kill you and that's that's really kind of overblown i think in many cases it's just natural snake behavior being misinterpreted by somebody who's really scared and that's understandable right if you have yeah. a snake coming at you it, you can panic but i think if a snake is going from point a to point b and you're in the middle it's going to look like it's coming right at you uh also, cottonmouths tend to go to the water when they're scared. And so if you happen to find one in the forest or anywhere other than a wetland and scare it, it's going to head right towards the water, even if you're between it. And so it might look like it's coming right at you, but it's really just trying to escape. Oh, okay. I see. Interesting. Um, guys, there's, we'll take, maybe we'll do this as the last question. Um, Someone asked if you have an opinion on the gene editing of reptiles being done at the University of Georgia. I'm not familiar with that specific project. I'm not either. <laughs> but, but I can talk in general, you know, you really have to be careful with these things. I think it's so fascinating from a scientific perspective. I get a little nervous when they talk about putting those species back in the wild right. because who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, kind of relates to the whole GMO uh, question. And, uh, I go by the precautionary principle. It's better to be safe than so. Okay. Very cool. Is there anything else that, that you want to talk about before, um, before we close up here? No, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come here and, uh, answer questions, let people know about, about the foundation. You all have been so generous today and I hope you feel good knowing that this money is going to be going into conservation projects. It could be in Arkansas, it could be in, in Nepal, but we're going to be evaluating these proposals. And uh, it really makes a difference, particularly in some of these these other countries that are really struggling to get conservation funds. So so thank you. And thank you, Maya. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you so much. Um, if you want to you talk about your um, book one more time um, and maybe summarize alongside Wild one more time, I'm going to pull something up. Um, okay. Yeah, let's talk sure. about... The book? Secrets of Snakes. We're getting it's good at out. That. <laughs> yeah, okay. Boom. Uh, it just came out. It's my first book. It's, it's something I'm really excited about. It's based on 12 years of doing science communication and outreach. It's the most common myths and misconceptions out there. And you know that's true because we've hit on a lot of them. A lot of you were asking me questions yeah. about it. So it's. I think it could be interesting to just about anyone. There's a, over 100 pictures of just snakes just doing their own thing, not being hauled out and threatened. They're just um, hanging out. And uh, so I, I hope you might find that interesting. You can find a link to it. It's on Amazon, or you can uh, find it anywhere you like. And send me an email if you want an autograph. Uh, the Alongside Wildlife Foundation, we're a new, small, grassroots conservation organization. We're less than two years old. 
but we're on pace to give out 20 over $20,000 by the end of the year. So I'm really proud of that. It's thanks to people like you um, giving small donations. It really adds up. And that's what makes us so unique. I think we're not bankrolled by millionaires and billionaires industry. It's all regular people giving a reasonable amount. I hope you uh, learn some more about the foundation today. I hope you'll find us on Patreon to start uh, becoming part of our recurring army of of donors and uh you can ask me questions online you can find me on twitter at alongside wild uh, instagram at alongside wild and uh i'm always happy to answer your questions there too and i hope you find me yeah you guys can um can find his twitter um and his website and pretty much everything through there uh, if you if you check out the tweet that i did earlier today this morning um about the podcast here is a, if you're looking at my stream, here's a, a thank you card um, made by Citrus. Again, Citrus, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'll send oh. this over to you if, if you want to tweet it, but um, it's signed by some of the viewers from today. Um, thank you so much for making this, you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for That's donating. So nice. Absolutely wonderful. This has been really, really cool. Um, I've learned a ton, as always. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of, of people like you coming on here to talk to me. Um, I, I feel underqualified lots of times, but the, <laughs> the, the point no, is I, to share information, right? So, so I yeah, I learned, a, I learned, a, I learned a ton too. And, uh, so yeah, I, I felt like I was talking to anybody else in my field. So great. That was a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. It was so nice to meet you. Um, I'll send you that card um and and we'll talk soon we ended today at 556 dollars and 39 cents wow um, thank you so awesome. much Arnie. thank you guys so much wow. thank you that's great thank you all right thank you so much have a good rest of your night okay all right bye podcast number 10